you would turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 8. We'll be in verses 18 through 25 this morning. Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Thank you, Ashley, for reading of the scripture. Good morning, church family. As I prayed through and processed through this passage, contemplated all morning already what we have really kind of preached the message in itself we're longing for Jesus to return. If you wonder, when you see a passage like this and you come up to it and you read all these things in there about creation and our suffering and we got this groaning on the inside of us, the heartbeat, the overarching theme about this is that the apostle wants to walk a careful balance after coming off of the beauties that are found already in Romans 8 of being a child of God already. Romans 8 is really quite an amazing passage as some of us are already talking about that this morning. If you could picture Romans 8 like a giant swimming pool on a 100 degree day, that this is this is where the Christian should really come and, and jump into and enjoy the beauties of Romans 8. This is where a Christian should vask in the glories and the wondrous truth and the amazement of Jesus when you come into a passage, this particular chapter in Romans. So I would encourage... Christians to dive deeply into long after we're past this sermon, these messages in Romans, to continue to come back to Romans 8, where there's incredible hope for the Christian. What's tricky about a passage like this <clears throat> is not painting a picture of this future 
that draws our attention and hopes into that and at the same time move our hope and our eyes and attention off of Jesus. Do you see that? So we could preach about what this earth will look like. We could preach, and there have been many messages preached about the pearly gates and the golden streets that have drawn people's eyes and attention off of Jesus and onto, oh, I, I want that paradise. When Paul opens this particular section up, he says, he kind of, he's already talked about the glories and the beauties. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are a child of God. You are a full heir. It's already, in some sense, in Paul's mind, done. But you've heard us talk about this already, not yet, phrase. We're coming here into this particular passage and the next ones to follow, kind of in that not yet stage. So it's a careful balance that Paul walks of talking about suffering and the realities of suffering and the difficulties of suffering, and he doesn't minimize the pain. And yet he never once takes the eyes and attention off of this future glory and he keeps the eyes and attention onto Jesus masterfully in this passage. So Paul uh, teaches this passage and as I have thought about as we preach this, listen, I realize that there are people here and at some level, all of us on different levels are walking through very, very hard things, even in this room right now. There are people here that are walking through sufferings right now, currently, in this present time. And I know it's hard. And this passage is in no way designed to minimize the reality of the pain and suffering that people are walking through now. Listen, here's the beauty and the hope of this is that one day it will not even remotely be close to what we're experiencing now. So how is then the Christian to walk through all the pain and the suffering, the brokenness, the hardships of this world? As Paul opens up, and can I tell you, I'm, <laughs> Paul, the Apostle Paul suffered greatly, yes, for the sake of Jesus, yes, for preaching the gospel, but there are things that that man went through that were way beyond his control, way out of what he didn't ask for. There are, there are circumstances and situations that are, that we find ourselves the same as the Apostle Paul in the brokenness of, of this world that still bring on incredible pain and suffering. Paul opens, as you can see in verse 18, this passage, this section, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory 
that is to be revealed to us. Paul immediately says, look, all of these truths are real for you right now about being who you are as God is your father. You have all the full privileges and pleasures, no condemnation. You have the Holy Spirit, the same one that rose Jesus from the grave. And yet during this time, you're going to walk through some very intense, hard painship and suffering. But he is saying that there is something there, this glorious future that is not, nothing to be compared with. Paul then goes on to explain in verse um, 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Paul goes back to creation. Paul goes back to first explaining something about creation and this what he just said, that word for, connects what he is just about to teach with this present suffering and this future glory. They are directly connected. So Paul says that the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now that's a very interesting statement to understand that creation, picture this, Creation is waiting not with intrepidation, not with, I don't know about this, not with this uncertainty, not with this, yikes, here we go again. Creation is eagerly waiting for this future event where there is something that has been hidden and is now revealed and what he says is, it's the sons of God. Creation is longing and eagerly waiting, dear Christian, for you. You are now, in a sense, kind of hidden. Because you and I are experiencing the same types of suffering that the rest of the world experiences now. God has not at this time differentiated or pulled apart, separated out the suffering and those who will never suffer again. And Paul takes this particular passage for what he sets the Christian's hope on and this future glory, he takes it all the way back to this particular point with creation. That's an, a fascinating thing. Let's look at what he says. He's not done there. So now we've got this picture with creation eagerly and longing, awaiting for this event for the sons of God and only the sons of God to be revealed that, that are not fully revealed at this point. Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. The word futility means pointless or worthless. It carries the idea 
of a war that is being fought and there's no way that it can win. It's the realization of this battle, this war, it's pointless, it's worthless. Paul says that the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, meaning it, it wasn't, it, it, that's not what it wanted, but because of him, that's God, who subjected it in hope. Turn back with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 3. When Paul is dealing with this particular passage in Romans chapter 8, longing for this future glory while we suffer in this present time, he has br brought up this, this future longing that creation is looking forward to. And this happened back in Genesis chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles or your um, electronic device, scroll back and, and think about this as you scroll back. There's a lot of history that has happened between where Paul's at now and what happened clear back at the beginning. So think about all of what Paul is intending to communicate that creation has suffered. Come back to Genesis chapter 3. This is what is understood as the fall. If you're not familiar with what this is, this is where God had just created everything. All things were created at this particular, in, in Genesis 1 and 2. Everything that we understand that is created is created. So what happens here in Genesis chapter 3, this is where the first representations of human, man and woman, directly sin and make the choice to directly disobey God. Look with me at chapter 3. We won't take time to what, the, what they did. They ate, I'll just tell you, they ate of, of, of a fruit that God told them not to. They broke, they disobeyed the command. And look what, especially in verse 17, we'll start there. <clears throat> and to Adam, he said, this is after they had fallen, after they had disobeyed God. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, that you shall not eat of it. Look at this interesting statement. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it. That means something's not right here at this moment. All the days of your life, thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Turn with me back to Romans 8. <clears throat> that particular incident, incident is what happened, what Paul is referencing here. Paul has moved forward and says, look, we are in this time of pain and suffering, 
hardship. But yet Paul says that there is a future glory that is waiting for us and it will be so glorious that all of creation is going to know this moment and it directly is tied back to what happened at the fall. So let's look and see. Paul says, here's what happened. Paul's explaining this situation in Genesis 3. Here's what, here's what God did. When Adam and Eve sinned, when the first man and the first woman disobeyed God, here's what happened. Paul says in verse 20 again, for the creation was subjected to futility. It did not do this willingly. It means it did not volunteer for this assignment. But it was because of God, Him, who subjected it in hope that, here's that moment that we're looking forward to in the future, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Paul has Romans, Gentiles, and Jews in front of him. The Jews would have had an understanding that when the Messiah comes, all creation would have been set back straight. Well, that didn't happen this time. The Romans believed that they could offer, they came out of paganism. Once they came to saving faith in Christ, they would have a belief system that would have taught them as a pagan that they could do things and sacrifice and offer offerings to other gods that would get the creation to work for them. Paul is teaching both sets. You, the Jews, remember back here, you are creationists. You know that God created the world. It's not all the way right yet. And he's teaching the Jews, listen, I don't care what you believe or have been taught in believing, you need to have an understanding that this is what happened at the fall and creation, the world as we see it. So this answers the question, why? Why are things the way that they are? Why is this happening, Lord? Why is this happening, God? Why am I suffering now? Why am I still experiencing loss? Why am I still experiencing pain? Why is this happening to me? I'm looking at my neighbors and it's not happening to them. How come this is not happening to me? Why am I going through this? Paul says, he considers that the suffering of this present time pales in comparison to the future glory, here's what the beautiful hope is. Because all of creation is looking forward to this return of its maker. Christian, please catch this. Here's a way to teach this passage without drawing your eyes or anyone's eyes off of Jesus. When the creator the maker, King Jesus, returns. What his intentions are when the creation experiences this final freedom. Oh, man. 
What will happen for us as we are revealed is that there will never be an opportunity for this original causality of sin to affect anything else of God. Can you imagine being in the kingdom of God? Let's say we've gone through 500 years and all of a sudden somebody sins again. What? Are you kidding me? That would be horrible for us to believe or for, to have an understanding at any point that we will ever experience this again. When creation understands that God, and Paul is teaching them that God is going to return and he is going to set things straight, that there will never be another moment in time that we will sin and our effects of our sin will ever uh, hurt or cause any harm to anyone else. All of that will be eradicated. All of that will be gone. All of that will be removed. And the whole creation will feel its effects all the way to Pluto and way beyond of what God has done in Jesus Christ. What a glorious future to understand. Paul says that the suffering of this time pales in comparison to what will happen when Christ returns. All of creation will feel and understand and know that his maker is there. Christian, there will never be one more time ever in the kingdom and the glory of God that we will ever experience any suffering from anyone. Please understand this. When Adam and Eve was at the beginning, the first representatives of humans, humanity, God, Paul exposits this in chap Romans chapter 5. We've already been through this. That even though we in this room were not directly back in that garden and directly disobeyed God that way, that with the eating of that fruit physically, what you have to understand is, is that God sees these two humans. He looks all the way down the corridor of time, and this is where God sees all the way through every single person that will ever be made, created. And those two humans, God looks down and says, 100% of them are like that. All of them would disobey me. You may not have done exactly that, but when God looks down humanity and he sees all of humans, he understands they're all like Adam and Eve. So there is a sense that we have to own and understand that we too have contributed to the creation being subjected to this futility. When Jesus comes and liberates creation from this bondage to corruption, that is glorious hope that we can feel and understand also that it's because of our sin that has 
that has directly caused the creation to be in this particular situation. If you're here and you do not understand that we are a contributing factor to what is going on, then you will never properly understand pain and suffering. You will always be willing to turn to God and say, God, I blame you for this. This is where all this comes from when people want to turn around and begin to blame God for all of the pain and suffering of what's going on. You did this. You caused this. You created this. No. God obliged man to the kind of creation that he wanted when he rebelled against God, and God gave man what he wanted. You want a broken creation? Because you will not listen to my voice. This is how the seriousness of sin gets realized. The all of creation felt when Adam and Eve sinned against God. Paul says in the next verse 23, I'm sorry, 22. He reminds him, repeats himself. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Understand this, that what we experience now from a biblical perspective is that creation is broken. The creation is groaning together. So if you're here and you are believing, trying to wish and somehow think that creation is going to get better, man, I cannot tell you how many people believe that their creation's Savior. Countless ways that people foolishly believe that they can bring creation back up to its original state or to the state of Eden is absolutely not going to happen. Not until this event happens will creation be set right. We have that promise here. We do not have to believe and hope and wish some wishful thinking that everything will just somehow suddenly be right. It will be right just as God subjected it to this because of Adam and Eve's sin. It will be right when God comes back and sets it straight. Not until then, but for then we can look forward that we have been redeemed as a glorious hope in the future that God will give. It's amazing thought also that the very creation that was cursed because of our sin, get this, Here's the kindness and the love of God. He is going to come back and he is going to give it to us again. Really? Yeah. That's how thorough this redemption is. This beauty and the way that God is going to this glorious future. Paul says, and not only creation, wow, this is, this is wonderful. He is, going to, he is going to set us straight, set us right. Verse 23 says, and not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. So it's a qualification of those whom God is 
going to give this glorious inheritance to? Only those who have the first fruits. Um, as Jared mentioned when he was preaching, that the first fruits are the beginnings of what's to come. The beginnings of the harvest that is to come. Christians, understand this, that the power and the working of the Holy Spirit in you is the first fruits of a whole truckload of harvest that is coming. That harvest will deal with the original sin and the choice that happened in the garden. For not only will creation have itself set straight and its cause and effect of what has happened there, but the first choice of the representatives of Adam and Eve and what they did, that first choice, and this is what is so glorious, Christian. In the future kingdom, understand this, that when there's this kingdom of all of God's people and it's been going for 10,000 years, there is not one moment that one of our brothers and sisters will ever make that choice again to sin. It won't, it's completely gone. Even the choice that you have will be so tied up in the glorious beauties of the Savior and the Father and the Spirit we won't even have the choice to begin to sin again. It will never happen again. Praise God for that. That sets our eyes on Jesus. And Paul says, here is what is absolutely amazing, is that we are still dragging around these bodies that have been affected by the curse. Adam and Eve and us have made the choice to sin, therefore our bodies die. We have been set free by the power of the Spirit, but here's the glorious thing. Our bodies will not be coming with us. Praise God for that. We will receive a new body. I understand that there are people in here that are hurting. Physically, all of us are headed for the grave. But we can take hope and, and not lose heart that not only the first transformation that has happened with us will be our bodies, this is the removal of all of the original choice sins that we have made that have brought our bodies to this point. Paul says we eagerly wait for the adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. Paul says, for in this hope we were saved. Verse 24. You know, here's how I thought about this, how to expand this Grand Canyon of glorious future hope and really bring the cross to the top. When Paul says, for in this hope, you were saved. When we understand the future glorious hope of a gifting of the creation that has been set straight, the, the not even one possibility for there to be sin ever to be entered in 
to this new creation, and we ourselves, along with all of other of God's children, will never have the possibility to sin again. That's wonderful. But the way to catch this huge chasm and the way to understand this glorious future that helps us suffer now in a beautiful way is to understand that our desti destination has been totally changed. Paul says, for in this hope you were saved. Rescued from a different place. From a different ending. If you are here and you've just completely lost hope, you've given up, you're at wit's end, in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of all that's going on, the frustrations, the struggles, the unanswered questions, the ways that God just hasn't quite told you everything that needs to be told. For the Christian, Paul says you were saved in this hope. For the non-believer, if you're here, you need to understand that your destination is totally different than what Paul is describing here. Your destination is set that of eternal punishment and torment for your sins. There is a destination that will not include this type of future glory. It makes perfect sense that there are those that are wandering around in such darkness, hope, loss of hope, no hope, hope that can't be found, unanswered questions, continuing to question God. For the Christian, God says you've been saved or rescued in this hope. To feel the weight of how big this chasm was, our and every single person on the face of the planet from Adam to now, their destination was set for an eternal separation from God. Total darkness, pain and suffering amplified on steroids with the additional fire, the eternal lake of fire. That is the destination of those that are not children of God. Christian, not only do we from this perspective look forward to this future hope, you have to feel this from the weight of what your destiny was. Your destiny and my destiny is no longer a destination separated from God. Our destination is rescued from the pits of hell, rescued from the wrath of God, rescued from eternal torment, suffering, pain, darkness, and we have been gloriously transformed now into the first fruits. We belong to God. We are already His, simply waiting while we suffer in this glorious hope of the return of our Savior. Paul says, 
that hope that is seen is not hope. What Paul says is, this is not the type of hope that I sure wish it would be different. Yeah, those Christians, man, I don't know what keeps them going. I don't know why they keep going. They and suffer and endure. I look at those Christians. They're walking through some of the same pains that I am. And there is something that is real on the inside of them, and we can't see it. This is an invisible hope that is put there by the power of the Holy Spirit that demonstrates for those who possess it are children of God. If you do not are here and do not have this hope in your flailing and floundering around in the sufferings of God or even yet doing everything you can to avoid suffering and you are trying to create this plush, posh, cushy life to try to avoid the realities of this, then you might consider what kind of hope do you have. Paul says that this hope for the Christian is not seen. That means a Christian sees real hope. This means they understand by the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside that the hope that they've placed in is absolutely guaranteed. It's a reality, and there's no way you can talk them out of it. It's a real hope on the inside. Paul says this hope is not seen for who hopes? What a beautiful question. Who hopes for what he sees? It doesn't even make sense. I'm wishing it to be. I'm wanting it to be. But Paul says, that's not the hope of the real believer. The hope for the real believer. Church, same is true for the Romans as it is for us. We continue to hope for what we do not see. We cannot see it, but we know it's there because we have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. We don't try to get out of it. We don't try to avoid it. We don't try to sidestep it. We don't try to get mad when it happens. We don't lose all hope when it's not there. When we face and walk through genuine hardship, Paul says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, meaning I'm not liking it, but I'm going to trust and praise my God and Savior through it. There's a way different difference in the way that the Christian experiences this because I know and I long for when he returns, everything is going to be set on its end and totally different. We, have, we are so grateful, and this causes us, dear Christian, to bow again to our Savior and worship Jesus Christ. We wait for it with endurance or patience. It's a patience that we can walk through while we're enduring and we don't chuck. We don't chuck Jesus. We don't chuck our faith. We don't come up with questions. Well, what's the point? Why we, what's the purpose? And I don't get it anymore. I'm not doing it. We don't lose that. Christians have a real hope on the inside for a future glory. Christian, I hope that you understand that what God has in store for us is almost, it's just indescribable. Yes, there are passages that teach about future and what perhaps heaven will look like. I don't think, I don't think it can be described in words. And 
But what Paul says here directly affects us. When the, when the complete removal of, of where it even began, of how it even got started and the possibility for that to never happen again, gives incredible hope and praise for Jesus Christ, our Savior. Wow, what a Savior when he returns. <clears throat> These are not fun times. This is not easy. Listen, church, I know that as we have 130 people, 100 members, 130 more want to be added, I praise God for that, for the covenanting together. I pray that you will hear this heart. What we're walking through is not easy. I don't think anybody really said when this happened, please give me masks. I just can't wait to wear some masks. Nobody wants, nobody desires these. What I love about what has happened in this pandemic, I'll be honest with you, what I, what I absolutely love that God did. It's a beautiful way that we see God still working in his creation because he is really put to the heart of man through this, the things that really matter. Really, he has he is shaken humanity to its core to see what's going to come out. A passage like this, Paul says, is designed to really grow thick skin, to be able to endure. Now listen, church, we've got people, real, genuine, regenerate, converted Christians, on this kind of perspective, this, this far apart sometimes. But church, what I would tell you is while we are walking through something very difficult, please understand you have imperfect leaders. We are not perfect. We, we need the blood of Jesus just like anyone else. We make mistakes. We mess up. We don't say the right things. We're doing the best we can to try to shepherd the people through what we see here. We are walking the best way that we possibly can to not feel like that we are sinning against God. We are doing the best that we can. We, we, don't want, we're not, we don't want to sin against the Lord. We get that. We've got the perspectives all over the place, and I consider this deep suffering for God's, God's people. Praise God, it will not be anything like this. There will never be another pandemic that gets released in the kingdom of God. But I would ask for, as Paul says here, for patience, for endurance, for love, for continued help. We thank you for the emails, for the loving concerns, for the questions that get brought up. You're a part. You belong. We want all of them. We just ask that you would prayerfully consider um, enduring, being patient, being loving, being kind. <clears throat> Please continue to share your words with us, your thoughts, your feelings. We love them. We are so grateful for 
the brothers and sisters that are on different pages with each other. Because what I'm confident is, is when Jesus returns, and it could be tonight, <laughs> wouldn't that be wonderful? If he came tonight and it's game over. Unfortunately for the unbelievers, it's not a good game over for them. But for you, us Christians who belong to Jesus, it will be a glorious thing. We will never have to walk through this and we can all point and say, there's our king. There's our great king. So as we continue to suffer in this life, what we ask is, is that church that we can move forward still with maybe some disagreements, and that's okay. I really believe that we have lost the art of it, the ability to actually be able to really disagree and still love each other. I believe that. So I'm asking that this church be different, that this church have heard the word of God, receive it in, and know that we're, this, is, this is hard, this is not easy, and that God has shaken humanity to its core and has the world on edge. And we praise God for that, but the beautiful thing is, is that the church still stands. The church still loves. The church is still patient. The church still endures. The church doesn't lose hope because our hope is real. Our hope is founded on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And our hope, as we understand it that way, is guaranteed for this glorious future to come. Will you pray with me? <clears throat> Lord, I thank you so much for the work of Christ. We thank you for the way that, God, you have put to humanity suffering and that that suffering is designed to draw our attention and our eyes to you. Lord, may we find a glorious hope that when you return, your intentions are to finish what you've started. That, God, we can find hope and encouragement <clears throat> that goes way beyond the creation. We long and look forward to your return. We pray that you would help us during this time to draw from the well of the power of the Holy Spirit. May you lead us. May we be brought together, unified in our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. We give him the praise and glory. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.